Welcome back to the Style That Binds Us podcast. I'm Allison Brune. And I'm Delia Folk, and we are the mother-daughter co-hosts, bringing you culture through the lens of style. Today, we are with Tracy Matthews, who is the founder and chief visionary officer of Flourish and Thrive Academy. She is also the podcast host of the Thrive by Design podcast, which I am so honored to have been featured on two times. So we will definitely include the links to those in the description in case you did not listen to it yet, you must listen. She also had a jewelry brand for years that was very successful called Tracy Matthews Designs. And due to the financial crisis, she ended up closing the business. So we're definitely going to talk about that. She is a fitness professional (laughs) and she focuses on Ashtanga and Vinyasa yoga. And Someone from Six Degrees Society connected us, and while we were trying to find a time to get together, she ended up moderating a panel that I was speaking on for the Independent Jewelry Summit. So we got to meet and plan other times to get together after that. So we are so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for letting us come to your beautiful apartment. Thanks for being here. This has been awesome. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to chat with you guys about stuff. It's funny that you bring up my yoga background, though I haven't taught yoga in a long time, but <laughs> I still practice, which oh, is perfect. Yes, yeah, so we're going to ask you about that in a little while. <laughs> okay, so first let's talk about what interested you in jewelry. Yeah, so I found jewelry um, when I was in college. I was a uh, human humanities major uh, with a European studies, like, sort of influence. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take fine arts classes. And uh, actually, I really wanted to be a fine arts major, but I, I had to work full time. So I found this major that I could do both take mm-hmm. art classes and uh, graduate in two years, which is what I had time to do, like to finish wow. my BA. So the first class I took was a jewelry making class. And my teacher mentored me, she was just like, you're good at this. You should think about it. And this, mind you, this is back in the 90s before there were like a million uh, jewelry designers around. And I was working in small boutiques. And uh, that's when Erica Courtney came on the scene. That's when Bettina Duncan came on the scene, Karen Karch. And I loved their jewelry. And I was like really inspired by what they were doing. I was like, I want to be one of them. (laughs) Yeah. And then so did you mostly learn to make jewelry from the college experience, the classes? Yeah, so I took, I was trained as a professional, or as a metal smith in those classes, and my, but my first collection was actually beaded jewelry, because I had moved from LA to San Francisco, uh, I got married, and the only thing that I could do in our little tiny apartment was bead stuff on our um, dining room table, so that's sort of how I launched the first business. Uh, eventually, it evolved into a full collection with um you know, I call it uh, sort of like fashion bridge jewelry because it was Mm -hmm. in like sterling silver and semi-precious. And then eventually over the years launched a fine jewelry line, which I'm still doing today, which is awesome. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about what steps did you take when you said, okay, I'm definitely going to start a brand. How did you go about doing that? Well, you know, back in the day, um, I, you know, I was taking these classes uh, people were commenting on my jewelry. They noticed, you know, they noticed it when I was wearing it, wearing it. A couple of people asked if they could buy it off my neck. I was like, oh, okay, there's something here, you know, it's going to maybe have a jewelry party in my apartment, invite my friends. So, uh, I started selling just on the side for like five years. 
And I remember back then thinking I was making so much money because I sold like $10,000 worth of jewelry at it, like three jewelry parties in a year. And so that was exciting because there was like interest. At least my friends and family loved me and they wanted to buy (laughs) buy stuff from me. Um, But then I started getting noticed because I would walk into stores. People would comment on it because I like love fashion. So I was always shopping Mm -hmm. or whatever. And uh, that's when I started having conversations with store buyers. And then I realized, you know, there's something, there's some legs to this. Mm -hmm. Let me just try it out and see how it goes. So um, instead of taking the route of like going to try and learn from someone else, I come from more of an entrepreneurial family. Mm -hmm. So I decided to just start my own company. I didn't even think about going and like trying to learn from someone else. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I just like went and got a DBA one day and then... Uh, started a business, got my wholesale license so I could buy supplies and not have to pay Mm -hmm. tax on those. Mm -hmm. I got a resale license so I could uh, pay tax on the things that people were uh, buying from me. And gosh, that that was like 25 years ago. It's like, it's crazy how fast the time goes. And now I've like had this business that was, I was sold in over 350 stores around the world and tons of press and celebrity clients. And, uh, it like so much has changed since then. Like that seems that even seems like ages ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's just been a fun evolution. So, you know, when I started, I didn't think too much necessarily about what to do. I was just like, I'm going to do this and see what happens. <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that that's the best way to start a business. <laughs> if you want to start a jewelry company, maybe come talk to me first. But <laughs> That's what I did back then. And what is a DBA? Uh, doing business as it's like a in California that's where my business was located you had to since I was just a sole proprietorship Mm -hmm. I had to get a DBA uh, and you had to file it in the newspaper because I wasn't I was using Tracy Matthews designs not Mm -hmm. just my name Mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to also file for a tax ID so it wasn't under my social security number right and so you need to do those that's yeah we've done the legal things Yeah. (laughs) yeah Okay, so what is one way or multiple ways that people can find manufacturers? Because you can design jewelry all day, yes. but if you can't find someone to produce it or find someone who makes a certain chain, how in the world can you go yes. about that? So, uh, how do you how do you find manufacturers? Well, you know, I think a lot of people that I, the people that I mentor they love making jewelry, so they just want to make it all. But there is a time that if you really want to scale and grow mm-hmm. your business. You need to start thinking about outsourcing. And uh, so there's two pieces of this. The first is like really sourcing vendors, which is where you'd be like looking for chain or uh, the findings that you you put pieces of jewelry together with uh, the raw materials and stuff like that. And so the way I've gone about it and the way I teach designers to is do some research online first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say most of the wholesale jewelry suppliers, if you're starting a brand and you're going to resell and this isn't a hobby, uh, aren't super savvy with uh, understanding SEO and keywords. So they're kind of hard to find. Right. <laughs> um, so referrals are good. Uh, yeah. If you're a part of a community like Flourish and Thrive Academy, we have a huge vendor list that we compile when people start sharing. Oh, yeah. uh, the savvy vendors though have websites that you can actually buy off of. Uh, from my, in my experience, um, you know, if you're just starting out with a, with a jewelry brand in particular, mm-hmm. Like some of the vendors you'd want to go to are like Halstead Bead or Nina Designs or uh, someone like Rio Grande because they're they're going to have a, the gamut and they have low minimums, so you're not going to have to buy oh yeah that's a ton great. of supplies uh, in order to right you know get the get their discount or whatever. Sure. But then over time, I think you know 
going to sourcing trade shows and stuff like that, you can start to find the suppliers. Um, as far as finding a manufacturer, that's like a totally different story. I would say like, number one, make friends in the jewelry industry, because once again, they're hard to find. Um, there are companies like Makers Row where they have lists of manufacturers, but I wouldn't say that they really list a lot of uh, jewelry companies necessarily that do manufacturing. But if you're in New York or LA, uh, LA, all the most of the manufacturers are on Hill Street or in Culver City, so you can do a little recon on that. And in New York, we obviously have the Diamond District, and there's a ton of mm-hmm. vendors there. So uh, basically, the way I found people doing it grassroots is just asking for mm-hmm. word of mouth referrals um, or going to a resource, asking friends mm-hmm. for where you find them. So that's sort of how I would recommend doing it. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Great advice. <laughs> And then let's talk about what is Flourish and Thrive Academy. Flourish and Thrive Academy is a passion project that I co-founded with my friend Robin Kramer, gosh, six and a half years ago now. We started in 2012. Am I doing the math right? Almost seven years? Oh my gosh. It's crazy because it's like, um, it seems like we just started it yesterday. But after my first business failed, I went did a little soul searching. I started a new company. It w- became successful really quickly. But because I had built such a brand and people knew who I was, mm-hmm. it was and no one knew that I why I really closed my business back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. I would get a lot of designers asking me to mentor them or can you meet for coffee to pick your brain and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I was like, I'm, I'm busy trying to build a new business. Like right. I'm happy to help you, yeah. but. Uh, at a certain point, like I'm happy to give you a few tips, but if you really want all my business, 25 oh, years yeah, of yeah, business yeah. advice, yeah. Um, let's talk about consulting. So I would uh, deliver these consulting packages and I started working with a few designers, but then many designers wouldn't be able to take me up on it because it was an investment. You know? Right, of course. Um, uh, typically it was about $1,000 a month to, to start with me and I would do several calls with them and uh, they'd have unlimited access to me. Uh, but even back then, I think there was like a resistance to that. So I'm like, how can we do something that could deliver that kind of value where we could give them all the tips um, right away, but they that was a little bit more affordable. And so I was talking, I had this idea where I wanted to start these online courses and kind of walk people through yeah. the platform of working with me on a one-on-one consulting basis for an entire year to set up their brand and how to kind of lay the foundation of a strong brand. Uh, and we walked them through... Um, the details of like how do you really attract their dream clients, how to share their story, how to design collections that actually sell, how to price jewelry because that's like one of the things that I think people really struggle with because uh, you know this because working for Barney's, you know, Pete, there's the difference between wholesale pricing and pricing for retail. And so a lot of designers are selling wholesale on a retail level and then a store wants to come and buy from them and they're like, well, I can't make any money off of this because they never priced their product right in the first place. So, mm-hmm. and then we teach them how to sell and market their work because that's usually the number one hangout because they like making stuff, right. Oh yeah. but then they don't uh, necessarily feel comfortable selling. Sure. And, uh, I don't, what's your experience? I'm going to like turn this back on you for one second. Like when you're uh, a buyer at Barney's, did you like working with the designers best or reps? The designers, definitely, yes. because with the reps, it's kind of like this middleman. It's this game of telephone. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then 
But the designers, creative people aren't always business people. Yeah. So they want to design all day, like you were saying, but they have to focus on the numbers in order mm -hmm. to continue your business. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have the sales, you're not going to have a brand because you're going to go out of business. <laughs> and so that's why I was always pushing my vendors, look at the selling reports, come to me with different yeah. with transfer suggestions and reorder suggestions. We have to build this business together and we can, as on the buying team, we know all the different trends. So we can kind of see the overarching what's happening in the market and then come to the brand and say, okay, how can we do this trend in your aesthetic? What yeah. is, what does it look like for you to develop hoops for your brand? So, so yes, I definitely, I love working with the designers. The only thing is that similar to the beauty industry, it's your baby. So you can be very emotional about it yeah. instead of pulling yourself back and saying, this is a business and we don't need to, we can try and separate emotions from business. So that was sometimes I had some tearful conversations with <laughs> vendors, <laughs> which you feel terrible, but I know. Well, I mean, I think one of the things too, when I was starting out, I mean, this, that's it. I wanted to ask you because I knew that that was going to be the answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because it's so stressful to go put, you're like afraid of people saying no to you. But like one of the most invaluable lessons I had when I was first starting out was going to those meetings and getting a no and then asking why. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how I learned to develop collections yeah. because like they were saying, well, if the collection's not big enough, I can't right. sell what you have here is not enough to represent enough of my case. Sure. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't like this part. So there's only three pieces here that I actually right. like. So um, that was invaluable. Or I worked with another store who was actually buying my jewelry and they were selling through really, really well. But she's like, you know, I think it would sell even better if you had more statement pieces because mm -hmm. I was making these teeny tiny little things. Mm -hmm. And you know, those kinds of lessons being the salesperson right. were invaluable. And I have to tell you that my sales were always better when I was the person selling it, even though at a certain point oh, sure. you don't have the time. Sure. Uh, when I got used to it and comfortable with going on those calls, because like just practice gives you the confidence. Sure. It's just mm -hmm. about putting yourself out mm -hmm. there. So Absolutely. that's what we really do in laying the foundation is practice. teach confidence, <laughs> business yeah. confidence. Right. I mean, that's really like the underlying thing. Mm -hmm. I would say yeah. like if anything, that's the number one outcome besides increase in sales and stuff Definitely. like that for everything. Yeah. You know, if you can just be confident in yourself. <laughs> okay. So what is the difference in Thrive by Design podcast and Flourish and Thrive Academy. What are the goals of each of them? And then how can someone get involved? Yes, that's a great question. So Flourish and Thrive Academy is um, our jewelry business platform. We hope to maybe expand. I'm just planting the seed. This is not guaranteed or 100%, but it might happen into other verticals. So we're thinking about opening up into fashion verticals and accessories and handbags. But we are like the number one uh, jewelry business education academy for the marketing and sales side. We don't teach how to make jewelry. We teach yeah. you how to build a business um, for uh, in the online education space. So that's really what we do. And I started Thrive by Design because I had a YouTube channel and I was doing all these YouTube videos uh, that we would deliver sort of as like vlogs or blog content every mm -hmm. week because I, I produce a lot of content like you guys do. Yeah. And uh, I realized that uh, the video consumption, like it was just hard, you know, yeah. you have to have the video person and, sure. uh, filming all the time and preparing the, you know, topics and subjects oh, yeah. where you had to keep it concise. Cause what, sometimes with 
YouTube, especially when you're teaching something, yeah. because all my um, YouTube videos were about teaching, right. you have to keep it pretty short and it was hard. And I'm like, I want to give like longer lessons, but I know people uh, who are right. really listening to me aren't going to be watching a 30 minute video. Right. And so I didn't want to crush the consumption of the content. So someone mentioned to me that maybe I should start a podcast and mm -hmm. I said, well, let me try it. I'm just going to see what happens. And I loved it because it gave me this slightly longer format. Right. I could uh, talk for 30 minutes. Right. I mean, our interviews, I think yeah, were 30 minutes definitely. each, right? And uh, if you go a little bit over, it's okay. And if you yeah. go a little bit under, it's okay. And people listen to it while they're driving, absolutely. while they're bringing their kids working to school, out. while they're working out, right. while they're walking around New York City, right. uh, <laughs> while they're working at their jewelry bench. And yeah. our numbers started skyrocketing yeah. with, with the number of people listening. Right. And so that's sort of how the podcast evolved. Um, mm -hmm. It was originally just our content extension for Flourish and Thrive. Mm -hmm. um, I started talking about other topics on there as well, because one of the things that I'm most passionate about is helping creative visionary types um, like myself uh, and the people that I mentor um, protect themselves because I think that mm -hmm. we don't do, uh, we're really creative. Oftentimes we're highly sensitive. What we're putting out into the world means a lot to us mm -hmm. and uh, we need to protect that and learn how to get, um, get a village around us to support mm -hmm. us and to help us grow our vision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people who are these visionary creative types try to do it all themselves. And sure. so they always stay small and it, and then they get frustrated and want to throw in the towel because they aren't able to scale and grow a business mm -hmm. because their zone of genius is not accounting, right. but accounting has to be done for a business right. or their zone of genius is not maybe filing papers and doing admin work sure. and, but it has to get done and, and they, um, hold back and they don't, or they, uh, or they eventually do hire people. This is my favorite one. And they're sitting around barking orders all day and then they have high turnover or they don't know how to lead and manage a team right. and get people mm -hmm. inspired to get sure. behind their vision. And uh, I think because this has been a work in progress for me, like I am far from perfect, but it's been something that I've really been working on. And the designers that we've start, sort of started with years ago have been growing their businesses. And they're at this point where now they're, they need to hire people and they're like, I want to get out of doing all the sales. Like, how can I find a salesperson sure. to replace me now and train them everything that I know? Social media. Yeah. How can I find someone to do the marketing for me? Like all this stuff, because it, it's a lot, like it all the things are a lot. And to me, that's like the exciting part is teaching people how to really find a players, how to train them, how to build systems in your business. If you're not a systems person and how to get people bought into that bigger vision of what you do. So uh, I launched a new company called Creatives Roll the World oh, yeah. that's an extension of Flourish and Thrive Academy and all these other things to help the visionaries out there. So that's great. It's fun. Yeah. I have a tendency to talk a lot because that's I'm great. like super passionate about well, what it's done. These are what we want to know. That's why we're here. <laughs> okay. So talk us through the highs and lows of your jewelry business and yeah. how did you use that experience in the rest of your career path? So, uh, it's funny because some of the highs were also the lows <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was exciting. I would say like my first, like super, my first two really exciting moments were getting into Metier SF, which is uh Metier San Francisco, which was a really, it still is an amazing account. They, mm -hmm. they used to sell, um, it was a fashion store, but they sold a lot of really great jewelry, like Kathy Waterman. And that was one of the accounts I felt like that really opened the door for me to sure. get into, 
other places or start, start mm-hmm. to get noticed. Uh, and then the second store that really like opened the door for me was Twist Online. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I, those were some of my first accounts when I was starting like in early 2000s, late 90s that kind of changed the scope of my business mm-hmm. and eventually opened the door to getting in the Sundance catalog, which was like huge bread and butter right. thing for me, anthropology and some of these big stores. Right. Uh, so those are super amazing highs. Um, I think, you know, anytime I would get a press hit or get in a magazine, it, it yeah. was super so exciting. So validating. those are, yeah, validating. Yeah. I loved it when ABC home called me, um, I think it was like 2006 or seven. They're like, uh, last month, Halle Berry and Orlando Bloom bought jewelry, your jewelry. So uh, they're wearing it. Okay. Halle bought um, hoops and Orlando bought like a wood necklace because I was doing a men's collection Maybe. at the time. So those are like really fun things. I would say a high and a low was getting on QVC because that was like a really interesting experience. Like mm-hmm. I talk about it a lot for what we do uh, over at Flourish and Thrive. Um, and it was a low because like, I didn't really get how to sell on TV and it didn't go very well. Mm -hmm. And so it was an interesting experience. So it was one of the biggest business lessons that I ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I think like throughout the time that I had my first jewelry company, Tracy Matthews Designs, I was really good at consistently increasing my revenue until 2008 happened. And so every year I had growth years. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't think I ever had a year where I declined. I mean, some had, bigger growth than other years. Yeah. But when 2008 happened, that was like interesting because the year before I had, or the year or two before I had been expanding into like a lot more trade shows. In fact, I moved to New York in 2006, 2007. I think I did 10 or 15 trade shows as opposed to the yeah. five that I was doing yeah. before. And so I was trying to expand probably too quickly and that put some financial strain on the company because um, you have to pay a lot of money to do the sure. trade shows. They're very expensive. And if you don't get the financial return right, right. right away. and right. I've heard that before. They're so expensive. So expensive. And when you're investing that kind of money, you kind of need to get the money back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we were advising designers now, we're like, walk a show first. Do one show at a time. Don't expect to get your money back right away. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you have to really build the audience because it used, it used to be that you would show up and walk with five, 10 times what you paid for your booth and your right. expenses. Mm-hmm. And it's not like that anymore. So mm-hmm. that, that was a really interesting year. 2007, we grew a lot. Um, but there was also this, um, underlying, like, you know, I'm investing a lot back into the business. Mm-hmm. And by the time 2008 came around, like we had to make some choices. Like, are we going to do all these trade shows again? Is it really worth it? Because like, if we're not getting the return on investment, I don't know if we can right. really afford to do it. Sure. Uh, cause I'm not okay. Not getting paid. And then it comes, right. comes the time where, um, the stores stop paying you mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, things were slowing down and, uh, was putting some financial strain. And so I would say like the lowest moment was when, um, the stock market crashed in 2008 we had just placed a big order with a store that went out of business, which I will keep mm-hmm. remain nameless. But sure. that one account like really crushed us because it was a big order. It was like $35,000. And on top of that, we had been shipping to Red Envelope and all these other stores. And all of a sudden, all these bankruptcy notices started coming in. Oh, and it was like so one funny. after another. And our small boutiques were going, just going out of business. And then, you know, you're not getting paid. And mm. in 2007, we had the best October 
ever. Mm -hmm. We did like, we shipped like $150,000 that month. Mm -hmm. And that year we were like, uh, we came really close to crossing the million dollar mark mm -hmm. in revenue, and which was exciting for right. a bridge jewelry line. I was selling stuff for like right. 50 to, you know, $150 at the sure. wholesale mark. So we were selling a lot of volume. Right. Um, that next year, October, <laughs> we sold like 10 grand. Oh. And it was like, that was like the lowest month you would ever have in a year. Like that, that was like, for me, that was like December because we went, didn't have, um, online shopping back then. And so people were, you were selling to stores and all the big orders would ship in October and November and you just get like some fill-ins. Right. In right then. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, that was interesting. And it like really, um, made me take a hard look at what I was doing and evaluate, do I really like this enough to keep this going? And so I decided to close and mm -hmm. um, 2009 was the last year of Tracy Matthews Designs and it was like the best thing I ever did. So glad I closed that business because- That's good. It opened me up for like this bigger opportunity because um, get into my little life coaching here. I think a lot of times when people start a business or something, or they get on a career path, mm -hmm. um, there's a certain point, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. My guess is probably yes, but mm -hmm. that you realize that all this time you spent building something that you thought was your dream, it's yeah. no longer your dream anymore. Right. And then you, you feel conflicted because you're like, well, what do you do when this isn't my dream, but this is what my identity is built around? Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it becomes like more than just like you're, okay, what do I do with this business? What do I do with myself kind right. of thing? And so I went, really went through something like that. And I, mm -hmm. that was like the hardest part of it, like mm -hmm. making that decision. Sure. But once I did, like it was the best thing because I was like, now I have the freedom to actually build the business that I want to create now. Mm -hmm. And I will never tie myself to something just because I think it's the way that I should be doing something mm -hmm. ever again. Like mm -hmm. I'm always evolving and mm -hmm. um, my businesses will continue to do that too. So that was sort of, that was a, um, the highs and the lows. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That, and that, the evolution. <laughs> yeah. And that, that could be, I heard a designer talk and she kept her brand for many years. It's still going. And she said a couple of years ago, I'm really not that girl anymore. I'd love to do something very minimal, very um, yeah. neutral, soft colors, but, but that's not my brand. My audience would not be happy with that. Mm -hmm. She said, one day I wouldn't mind opening some anonymous store down in Tribeca. No one would know it was me because it would be so different yeah. from the original brand. So it was too late for her to change directions because she was, she's a pretty big deal. So um, it's interesting how things that yeah. you think are the worst thing that could happen to you turn out to be a blessing. Such a blessing. And I think, you know, it's interesting too, because I'm sure that this person that you're, this designer mm -hmm. you're talking about probably struggled because maybe they wanted to evolve their design direction and, but you end up alienating, alienating yeah, yeah. your customers Absolutely. and it's like starting over. Right. And so like people are like, do you do it? Or like, how do you slowly transition? Cause that's like right. really an art in and of itself. Like yes. learning how to create that transition. Yeah. I really Which think so cool. too. Cause a lot of the people that are devoted to you are very sad when that was their go-to brand and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. I'm very sad when my go-to brand is yeah, no longer around. Exactly. <laughs> or like, what is she doing? This is not, this is not her. So yeah. Yeah. It's the real thing. Okay. So how can someone protect themselves financially while still having to take those risks that you need to take when you want to start a business? 
That's a great question. I mean, when I started, I think one of the best things that I did was I had some money saved uh, so that I could live on because I knew I wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. pay myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think unless you have seed funding or you're independently wealthy or you've had a job that made a lot of money, you have mm-hmm. a big savings. Mm-hmm. It's unreasonable these days to think that you're going to be able to just get a business loan without mm-hmm. any yes. proof of concept. And so I think that that's really important. Um, and so what I've, what I've seen, just because I mentor so many people, is that mm-hmm. people are starting their businesses kind of as a side hustle first. Sure. And then evolving. So I would say either have like some sort of financial cushion where you know you can like, you're not going to be so stressed that you can't yes. live. You need to like have... This, your business should never make you not have a life, you know, and I mean, like you need to have a life, right? It needs to meet mean enough to you or start slow and then evolve, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then when you're ready, when you're ready, Mm -hmm. take the leap and and go. Um, I would say also that as you start to build momentum and get sales is, well, first of all, the number one thing that you should be focused on is actually getting the sales, which I think is a big struggle for people starting brand, because I think that they're like, we were talking about earlier that they came across it because they like to design or make or something like that. But that sales piece, getting the money coming into your, any kind of brand is going to be key to getting success. And I'm not talking about getting like financing. I'm talking about getting customers selling your things (laughs) because the customers are going to tell, give you the feedback that you need to actually create a product line that's going to scale. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. And so once you do that, like I would, always recommend investing in yourself and your business and learning from people who've done before, done this before, or, um, finding some sort of mentor who can, uh, give you advice. I would say that was the one thing that I didn't do fast enough in my business. I waited for eight years before I invested Mm -hmm. in something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would have, and I had opportunity maybe like two or three years in, Mm -hmm. and I would have in hindsight, that's the one thing that I would have a hundred percent changed. And I would, as fast as you can, I would try to pay yourself. Rolling. Okay, so what is the balance in being able to invest in yourself and then also invest back in your brand? How can you choose which amounts to go to those? Well, there's a lot of great books on this, and there's a book that I highly recommend called Profit First, Profits First by Mike Michalowicz. He has a formula. It's slightly complicated, but if you want to keep it simple... I would try to take like maybe 10% off the top line revenue and just put it in a savings account for yourself or pay yourself with that. Uh, There's a difference between profits and salary. And so you just have to know what the difference is and uh, maybe put some money aside for profitability and then commit to a certain amount that you want to pay yourself in a salary. The way that I always recommend people to do this is to figure out how much money you actually need to make in your business by understanding your break even point. Um, and there's math equations online that you can just, I'm not going to walk you through that now because I probably won't remember exactly how to do it. Um, but if you can figure out like what you actually need to like end flat, then that gives you a good number of what you can afford to pay yourself. And then you can just adjust that number every month. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes the marker for your sales goal every month. If you understand like what it costs to run your business. And so then anything over that, you know, there's going to be a cost of goods sold, like that you're investing in product and materials and labor. Yes. Um, and that, that should give you sort of a good balance, but, um, every business is going to be a little bit different because I think if you're selling direct to consumer, your margins are quite different Mm -hmm. and your volume is quite different than if you're selling wholesale. And so, uh, wholesale is going to have slimmer margins, but uh, a lot more units shipped mm-hmm. and maybe more m- money coming in the business altogether. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it really depends on the type of business model, the exact percentages, but I'd figure out, um, pull some profit out every single month when you get paid, Mm -hmm. um, commit to paying yourself a certain amount every single month, and then invest the rest back into your business. Do you have any questions? I do. I want to know, I'm always fascinated about how entrepreneurs find are able to do a work-life balance because sometimes I, she, now that she is an entrepreneur, <laughs> she works 24-7, you know, but a lot of the events and things, she definitely, her friends are in her, a lot of her friends are yeah. in the fashion industry, so it overlaps and she's doing what she's very passionate about, so she feels, and she works out and, you know, exercises and does <laughs> things like that, makes time for her your stories. <laughs> Yes, but how how have you found a way? We talked about yoga earlier, I think. Yes. How have you found a way to have some sort of a work-life balance? And why is it important to have that? Yeah, well, I didn't have a work-life balance when I was when I had my other business. I was like mm. a slave to that company. Okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. Okay. No, I mean, I'm like really type A, and so yeah. I have to so work out. And so if I don't, like I am a crazy person, and you really don't want to be around me. So that that is like the number one and not everyone needs to work out. I mean, I, I think it's just good for your health in general. Sure. Um, and I think it also creates routine. And so for me, that makes sense. Um, routine, mm-hmm. it, it sounds really counterintuitive because you think creative people want all this like loosey goosey time, but the more structure I put into my oh, I think so day, too. the more creative I can be and the, and yes. the more I can get done sure. and the more I can have time for myself. And so, um, since I live alone and I don't yeah. have like someone coming home to like serve right, me, right. For, make dinner for or serve dinner to, right. um, I, I make plans in the evening, like at least a couple nights a week to either yeah. invite someone over sure. or get out of my apartment because I work from home. Right. And so that creates balance for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's events because Delia and I see each other at events yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's events, but sometimes it's just a dinner, you know, I'm like sure. a catch up. Uh, and in the morning, I started recently uh, waking up at 5 a.m. I'm a nut. <laughs> I wake up at 5 every day. I know. Yeah, it's really, day. really hard in New York City, though, I have to say. It's much harder here. Well, because you stay up later? Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm not even out. It's just that it's, it's the city. I mean, here at night, there's, like, tons of light coming in through my windows. I but see. Yeah. Ever since I moved to New York, even though I was in a t- West Village apartment that was mm-hmm. dark, <laughs> it's just the energy. Something about the energy keeps you up. Yeah, I can say that. And she likes to get up immediately and get out of bed, and she's already, you know, yeah. on to work out. I like to have my coffee, kind of check my emails and things like that, just kind of ease into yep. the day. Um, so we work on that when we're together. My <laughs> husband and I have our cup of coffee, cup, couple of cups before we <laughs> get up and face the day. So, but I think routine when you are working by mm-hmm. yourself is important because I've had so many people say. Uh, fashion designers, jewelry designers, artists. It can be a very lonely yes. um, thing you realize. And you could stay in your pajamas all day, but then you feel kind of oh my gosh, worthless and sad. You know, so it is very good to have a routine and do healthy things and you know. I had a business coach tell me once, like, don't work in your pajamas. You have to get up, put makeup on, get yeah. dressed like you're going to an office right. because that will make you take your business more seriously. Right, that makes perfect sense. Takes like, uh, like that. I wish I could get that hour back every day, but it actually right. it's, it's worth it because then you're ready. And if you know oh, get yeah. asked out on a date at the last minute, yeah. you can, yeah. you're ready to go. Maybe you run to, errands like, or scramble. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you might run. You never know. You might run into like the love of your life. That's right. <laughs> Coffee That's shop. Right. That's exactly <laughs> Just right. Just joking. 
Um, oh, it's true. Yes, but I like the, I do the coffee thing and I write in my journal. Yeah. And I actually started just recently spending about one to two hours writing because I'm writing a book this year oh, cool. in the morning before I work out. So that's all happens before 8 a.m. Yeah. And then you feel like you got so much done. Mm -hmm. And it's quiet. Yeah. It's and no one's bugging quiet. you. Right. When you start hearing the city noises, you're like, <laughs> ah, <laughs> time to get up and get going. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice to have that quiet time. Okay. Um, the other question I'm always interested in is... How do you use social media and do, if, do you think it's important? Because it can take up so much time. I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and here's the reason why. I think that uh, you need to have consistency to get exposure. Mm -hmm. I think the problem that most people have with it, that when they're feeling like it's a waste of time, is that they don't know how to use it properly. Right. And uh, they're just put like pitching, especially with the people in my community, they just like, slap up a piece of jewelry and say, go buy it on my website. And that's like not the purpose of social media. Right. It's to create a conversation around right. your brand yeah. and it's more of a long game. And so, uh, I, yes, I do think it's very important. Mm -hmm. Do I think it's going to get you immediate sales if you're a brand? Probably not if you don't have an audience, but I do think that it's a great audience building opportunity and there's ways to manage it that you can do it in a lot less time by using not necessarily scheduling your posts, but mm -hmm. using planning tools that will help you batch content um, and do it all at once. So you're not trying to every scramble day. every single day and post something, you right. know, you're ready. And then you just have to copy and paste it Yeah, and slap it up on your Instagram or okay. do a quick story. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so maybe set aside a little bit of time each week to kind of think about what you want to tell people. Okay. Exactly. You know, I mean, I think the, the most effective way to do it is to do it once a month. I mean, I personally wow. don't do it because I, I don't do it that way because I like to think on the fly, but for Flourish and Drive Academy, that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. We batch it out like at least two weeks at a time. Yeah. Uh, we try to plan the whole month of content and then we curate the images and the opportunities and then we have wiggle room. So there's like holes in it. Like if we no, we want to be able to move things around or mm -hmm. uh, we want to be able to talk about something that happened yesterday. Exactly. You know? um, yeah. But then at least there's like a shell or a guideline and you're not yeah. feeling like you're like, oh, I can't think of a single idea today. Right. Like, right. Now I'm just going to put something dumb up and like a sure. one word caption with an emoji. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Here's the ring. <laughs> That's true. And you can be more, you can plan ahead with your feed yeah. and be a little more personal with your stories. Exactly. So. And you also, like, if you're organizing the pictures, it can, it will look nice later. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, not, definitely. It's not like. For sure. Yeah. It's not too random. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what's next for Tracy Matthews? And let's talk more about what is Creatives Rule the World? Yeah, so what's next for me? Well, I just launched this new company. Um, it's really focused, as I mentioned earlier, on the visionary types. And so uh, for um, fashion, jewelry, accessory brands or product-based businesses who have um, like a visionary at the helm and they're trying to build and scale their company over seven figures, uh, it's a place where you can go for support. So the website, if you want to check out the website, it's creativesrolltheworld.com. And I have a free download there where you can download uh, the visionary code. It's just like a little quick audio download because I love podcasting yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, and then also I'm going to be launching a mastermind group called the Visionary Circle uh, for a select group of entrepreneurs who want to get together and uh, 
get support in hiring and leading and managing their teams, which is going to be fun. Um, and then I'm writing a book. Yeah. That's and, uh, yeah. So what is the book we'll see. about? Well, I think it's going to be called creatives rule the world, but now I kind of like the word, the title visionary code or the yeah. 5%. So, uh, working titles, <laughs> I have three yeah. working titles, um, but it will be basically about the same thing. I, I have about three books that are going to kind of support that brand that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is really about, um, using your creativity to grow your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second is about, um, being a step, really stepping into your role as a visionary and, uh, spending most of your time working on the ideas and then inspiring the people around you to buy into those ideas so that they can help you grow your company. Yeah. And then the third is really about like, I think, uh, I don't, I don't think it's really gonna be like a self care book, but it's like really managing your energy because that to me is like the one thing that I think like you, it's easy to give, 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 and then you deplete yourself because you're so passionate about what you do. And then right. at the end of the day, you start um, coming up against burnout and then you want to close your business and then all these other things when it, you could just stay inspired by taking right. care of yourself a little bit better. So that's, that's Great what it's all plan. about. It's exciting. Very exciting. So how can brands set themselves apart in today's landscape? Oh, that's such a good question. The, I think the most important thing is you hear this over and over again. You this probably come out of your mouth too. It's really about being able to communicate a compelling story that uh, can connect and hook with the people who will become your biggest raving fans and that keeps them like buying from you for ages. So we were talking about at a certain point um, making like a shift in design and development. It's like being able to make those slight tweaks and getting people to buy into what what you really stand for from a design perspective, from a story perspective, from the communication that you're doing, from the visuals, like everything that you're putting out there and keeping them for the long haul. Um, there's this really great article that talks about it. Kevin Kelly of uh, Wired Magazine wrote this blog post years ago. It's called A Thousand True Fans, and it's about how easy it is to build a business if, you, if you're a designer or a maker or an artist. If you just had a thousand raving fans who bought from you every single year. Sure, sure. And if they only spent a hundred bucks, if you're an independent brand, do the math, that's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, you know? And so if they, if you had a hundred fans and they were spending 500, you know, you can mm-hmm. see how these numbers mm-hmm. can kind of play off each other and how it would work for your business. And so the one thing that have, having a really compelling brand story does and being able to uh, have the confidence to talk about it and put yourself out there is that it starts, you start collecting those kinds of people who follow you and then they stay with you for a long yeah. time. And then, you, and like, you know, a lot of people, they talk about, oh, it's so hard to make sales. But like at that point, it's not hard to make sales because anytime you send an email, they're going to be buying. And it's really about nurturing those relationships and keeping them coming back. So, and it starts with the story, like mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. And if your story's boring, like I can help you just find me. Because <laughs> it's not boring. You don't know what to talk That's about. That's right. That's right. It's so funny talking about them sometimes. You know, they think, oh, do you want to hear what I have to say? Or why I started this brand. Thank you for listening to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We would love it if you would go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. The best way for us to know your thoughts is if you rate and review the Style That Binds Us podcast. 
This will give us the opportunity to know what you'd like to see from us in the future. Follow along on our adventures on social media at The Style That Binds Us, at Allison Brune, at Delia Folk are our handles. Until next time.